0: Thanks man. Thank you, worship team. Uh, Welcome everyone. It's uh, good to see more and more uh, students returning. Um, Anyone here for the first time? (laughs) Welcome, one or two, welcome ladies. Um, uh, So, I don't actually have a name badge on. For those that don't know me, my name's Nicholas. Uh, KJ is how most students refer to me, Um, which is easier than the Reverend Dr. Curtin Johnson. Um, my wife yeah thank you mate my wife is laughing too much at that Um, so we um, in true kingdom life fashion we're embarking on a series and this series has no end Um, you know obviously we're talking about worship and that that literally never will end will it Um, but Tyler and I have got somewhere between 8 and 12 sermons, we, we've, we still, uh, we're still playing with this one. Um, and and the, the challenge with that, of course, and the, there's a joy and a challenge, is that even tonight, there's always so much that we want to talk about, there's so much to say. But then you say, okay, I can do that later, I can't fit everything in. Um, and so, you know, uh, hope, please keep coming back, because you know, we're going to build on this as we go. We're gonna we're gonna fill in detail. Um, and I, I've 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 called uh, my sermon tonight uh, true worship. Um, Tyler mentioned last week that when we when we talk about worship, we do we do tend to think about singing. You know, that tends to be our, our, where we go to first. So we that we come together and we sing, or we sing on our own, and that, that that's worship. Um, and we're going to be going much deeper than that in this series. And there there will be some things that are explicitly about corporate worship and and how we worship. But there'll also be things for moms who are at home with babies, and what does it look like to worship? Which is good for everyone in the room to hear. And there'll be things on liturgy and rhythms of life, and how that's part of worship. Because ultimately everything that we do, all of our lives are capable of being worship the way that I teach, the way I treat my students, the way I treat my wife and my children. You know, my heart towards the Lord, my heart towards those who are lost or broken. You know, everything that we do, every choice we make can be a form of worship. And that is a beautiful thing. Now tonight I am, I am talking about um, what I've called true worship. Um, that, that's because it's the word that Jesus uses um, in John 4. So it's not an arrogant word, it's, it's, it's the phrase that Jesus uses. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the things that has always characterized this body for the last 11 years or whatever it's been is that we are a group of people that loves to worship. This church was started by people who, who actually encountered God as living and real and tangible, and the only response that they had was to worship, that we had to worship. And that's still our heart. But I know that there's more for us. I know that we can go deeper in every part of our lives, including when we come together. And I'm excited to be a place where where you come and you just and you know that God is adored. And He's delighted in. And that there's awe of Him and wonder. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I believe the Lord's gonna build that in us as we, as we go through this, um, this series. Um, and really, you know, t- tonight talking about true worship, it really is about our hearts. It's, it's all about what's going on in here. Your heart or your spirit, depending which is your better term or your favorite term. And so, you know, as you, whether you do this on your own or whether, you know, as you've come tonight, um, you know, what do we bring with us when we come to worship the King? Do we bring perfection? Do we bring holiness? Do we bring awe? Do we bring routine? It's just our job. So we have to be here. Do we bring brokenness? Do we bring surrender? There's so many things that we can bring, Um, and let me just say this now. You know, bear in mind everything as I go through this. There are times that we will come to church and we will be we will be struggling. You know, we talk about a sacrifice of praise, and a sacrifice of praise is most common when it's the hard thing for us to do, when we're struggling, when someone in our family is dying, or there's a question that Lord won't answer, we don't know why. But in those moments, we still worship. And there's such power in those sacrifices. So the idea here isn't that we always come giddy, you know, with overflowing excitement, but, you know, we're Christians. We should be marked by joy, shouldn't we? It would be kind of weird if we were the house of depression and miserableness, you know, that we do come with awe and we come with joy and we come with delight. And Matt's read from Psalm 103, okay? And yeah, pick a psalm, you know, that that talks about worship, and there's so many. One of my favorites, um, which I'm just gonna read because it's so beautiful, is Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. No matter what I say tonight, he is always worthy of our praise. And scripture gives us this incredible promise that if we praise and if we have thanksgiving on our hearts, we will enter into his presence. And what a promise. What a powerful thing worship is. But I'm going to focus on two scriptures. One of them we had last week, uh, John 4, and the other is Matthew 15. Uh, this is also in Mark 7, but I'm going to use the Matthew 15 version. And I'm using these because these are two occasions where Jesus talks about worship. So this is from the mouth of our Lord himself. Okay. And gosh, there's so much here, but I'm going to pull out a few things. So Matthew 15. Matthew 15. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read quite a few verses. I'll have to read this fairly quickly. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you go forward to sorry, to Matthew uh, verse 13, 15, 13, Jesus says, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone, they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And just point out in that list in verse 19, uh, where it uses the word fornication, that is both sexual and spiritual. So it includes all idolatry. Okay. <laughs> As if the one form wasn't bad enough. Jesus, um, you know, the Pharisees are, are an interesting bunch, aren't they? The, the ones who were supposed to know the ways of the Lord. Um, and they're the ones that Jesus sort of unleashes. On quite often, and we and we we see the hearts of our Lord in His interactions with them. And this quote from Isaiah, He actually, He adds to: "They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me." So the first thing that we can pick up from this is that there is such a thing as vain, useless worship. Not everything that proceeds from our mouths as people is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, that's that's just a foundation here that we have to accept. There is such a thing as vain worship that he will not hear. He will not pay attention to and the connection that Jesus makes here, yes, it's this thing about tradition and the law of the Lord and honoring God, but the connection that he makes here is that there's a disconnect between their hearts and their lips. That actually the people that don't wash their hands are not the defiled ones. These are the defiled ones because they are twisting the ways of God. They have an idolatry to the traditions of men and not faithfulness to the word of God. What Jesus is saying here is that true praise, true worship can only ever be what is going on in the inside of us. That's what's emanating from here. And I guess God knows everything. It you know, it feels a little unfair. It's like I can say all the right things, but the Lord actually knows. We can't fake it with God. But maybe that's really deeply comforting. He's the one person that we can't (laughs) fake it with. And what the Lord is calling us to hear is to be thinking about the attentions of our heart. Where is it that our hearts are focused? What are they focused on? The Pharisees create traditions and rituals to try and make us clean. And Jesus says, it's your hearts that matter. Okay, and we know that there is only one way for our hearts to actually be clean, and that's through Christ. So what Jesus is doing here, and it's the word that he uses to describe them, is he is rejecting hypocrisy. He's rejecting hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And I was chatting to Kath this afternoon, as I tend to do when I'm when I'm wrestling with where to take a sermon, and you know. And I said to her, like, I've got these seven or eight things which I think you know are probably pretty common in our church body. You know, I going to point out. I, I'm good at pointing out Matt's sins, but I was going to pick on Jacob and, and a couple of others. <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> And Cass said, you know, it's quite common in this environment, people who have grown up in the church, that, that we're actually pretty aware of our sins. And we probably have a pretty good grid for what hypocrisy looks like. Now, if you're struggling, if you're sitting here with a sense of arrogance, please come to me afterwards and I can help you with that. <laughs> But I think we all know what hypocrisy looks like. You know, I had a funny one. Okay, and maybe we shouldn't joke about this, but I had a funny one. As you know, my daughter is dating, you know. Yeah, and she's not here, she's in the back, so I can do this. Because only her boyfriend is here. <laughs> she's not, you know. And, and any father in the house, any man who's gonna be your father, it's, there's, there's something on a biological level that makes you despise anyone that wants to date your daughter, okay? Now, it completely doesn't work the other way around. Like, Joseph can date whoever he wants. It's fine, you know? Um, and, I, and I'm sorry, I can't explain it. I think it's biological, okay? So poor Joe here is the sucker that's the first to just step in and try this out, you know? And I'm a pastor. He probably thinks this is going to be pretty easy. He comes to my church. I have to be nice to him. And it's just not true, you know? <laughs> 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 and I'm consistently aware that as I preach here, Joe's thinking, what a hypocrite, you know. He says all these nice things and he's so mean to me. And so, <laughs> and the other day, Joe, you'll be pleased to hear this, you know, I was praying and the Lord was, uh, he said, you, know, you do realize that Joe is made in my image? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And, laughs> and he said why will you not love him like I ask you to and I said Lord this is a biological thing and you made me okay this was surely there's a caveat and he says no there really isn't there isn't a caveat he's made in my image and you must love him and you must treat him with grace and with generosity and you have to put away all that other nonsense that's not from me you know so I'm trying to get better, Joe, you know, working on it. It's like a slow climb, I know, for both of us. But you know, it was it was it was something like I hate being grumpy with anyone, but you know, I knew my heart was in a bad place. And eventually the Lord, like, enough already, okay. Sort your heart out. And that's a pretty small thing. But how many how many of us see hypocrisy? You know, and we might have seen it with our parents. Maybe some of us grew up in the classical situation where your family fights the entire way to church. Everyone's, la, 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 and then you fight all the way back. You know? And that's just just hypocrisy, isn't it? Because our hearts are, they're not loving towards each other. So does the Lord, how does that work with the Lord when we try and be loving towards Him? He wants us to be loving to everyone. How many? Yeah, like I said, there was a list. My wife told me, "Don't use the list," so I'm not going to. Okay, because I actually think we have a pretty good grid for this. Um, So first, I listen to my wife, but then obviously, I still go and ask the Lord, um, who often coincides with what my wife thinks. Um, And the thing is that. The cost of hypocrisy is payment in itself. Jesus says the blind leave the blind, they're both gonna fall into a ditch. This doesn't sound very good. You're certainly not walking towards Christ, are you, when you're falling into a ditch. He says that their worship's in vain. And if worship is the thing that gets us into the presence of God, then we're probably not gonna get into the presence of God. Like the cost is there already. I don't think I have to point out that sin costs us, and there, there's this reality, and that's what you know. I, at the very beginning, I asked, like, do we do we sometimes expect when we come to worship that we must bring perfection with us? Um, I know I've had conversations with some of you, um, whether in church or on campus, and you know, and we all have this issue where we, we sing songs up here, and the words are amazing. And they make proclamations of our heart towards the Lord and and we probably, you know, we sing them and and we have this voice in our head that's saying, "Ah, you don't really believe that. That doesn't describe you, does it? You're not 100% fully committed to the Lord. What nonsense, you know? Have you all had, well, some of you had that experience? Are you singing? We can have this accusation and that is never the spirit, by the way, in case you were wondering, okay. And I, I like to say when, we are, when we're singing songs that don't, al- don't align with where I am or where I want to be that I sing them prophetically. They're, they're a call to the Lord to align my heart with what I'm singing. They're, they're, they're grabbing hold of his promises to make me one with him. But the joy here is, you know, if, if we start to wonder about like, our attitude, our hearts, is that when you go to John 4, we get the the story that Jesus gives us, which is so amazing. So John 4, 19. Tyler read more of this last week, so I'm just gonna read five verses here. The woman, this is a Samaritan woman that he meets at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, you know, I I like to think we all know what truth is. Um, But, you know, interesting here, the word aletheia um, that's used by John, it's defined by its opposite, okay? So if you think of fictitious or feigned or false, aletheia is the opposite of those things. So to worship in spirit and truth, worship in truth, is to worship in sincerity and veracity and integrity and dependability. Those are the things that characterize truth. Not perfection, okay, truth. And when Jesus uses the word uh, worship, it's proskuneo, however you say that in the Greek. Proskuneo, thank you. And here it is to prostrate oneself and to bow down, to show reverence and to give homage. It's surrender. Again, it's not perfection. It's surrender. It is to adore. Part of the word is the same word that means to kiss, which is quite intimate and interesting. So Jesus doesn't call us to this act that is in fear but he calls us to this act that is truthful and it's adoring that we have no choice but to bow at the feet of the one who we love and Jesus also said it's not about place, it's not about a certain mountain or a certain temple he doesn't say it's about a certain form of worship it's about here Is what truth and spirit. And when we think about spirit, it's it's quite a hard one. It's the same, it's the same word spirit that's used for the Holy Spirit, it's the same word. One's a big S, yes, one's a little less. It's our spirit, it's our heart. That when we worship the Lord, we don't just worship with our lips, we don't just worship with our minds. But we worship with our spirits, we worship with what it is that is actually us. That that is what we're giving the Lord. And it's our spirit that's actually able to bond and commune with his spirit and bring us into the intimacy. And it's not just words flowing out of us. It's our hearts. And what I, I love... About this story, you know, and we we know this. We've heard so many sermons about the Samaritan woman, but that she seems to be deliberately chosen because she is so not the person Jesus should be talking to. She is the one who's cut off by gender and by race and by sin. And yet she's the one. And we think about some of the other stories, and these aren't always d- directly related to worship you know, in the church setting, but think of some of the other stories that Jesus tells or things that happen. Think about Luke 18, the story of the tax collector and the sinner. And it's the one that says, I am a sinner that is forgiven. Think about the woman who washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And that is considered beautiful worship by the Lord and that his story will be told through all time. Think about the widow who gives the one little coin into the offering basket. The stories of worship and adoration of Jesus are by broken people and poor people and sinful people. They're not the stories of the righteous holy ones. And this should really encourage us So true worship is never to think that we have to somehow be perfect before we can come to him. Okay. And I hope we hope we can all get that and accept that. True worship is actually that we come to him in our brokenness. Knowing that he is love and knowing that he is forgiveness. And we reflect the words of David, these amazing words that David said after his fall with Bathsheba. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so often our, our worship can't be about trying to, you know, again, come out of this place of perfection, but it's actually. And it's not about routine, it's not about performance, it's just about a response to love and a response to the fact that we're forgiven. And ironically, one of the, I think, the biggest obstacles to true, amazing worship is the idea that we can become holy. And we lose sight of the fact that we are just broken, terrible people that He has forgiven. Because it's that that actually draws us into love and into passionate worship. And it's not an accident that Jesus chooses a Samaritan woman to give us this message. It's not an accident that he chose someone that was cut off from God by law. And it's also not an accident that in this story, there's two themes in the story and we we have to keep them both together because the story ends with worship but it begins with living water. And that's a huge part of true worship. And anyone who's been here for a while you know, knows a lot about living water. We spent a lot of time talking about that. But let's not forget this. That, that true worship is gonna flow from our spirit. That spirit, the ability of our spirit to commune with the Lord is always, in, it's entirely, entirely contingent on the Holy Spirit being in us. In other words, on Jesus' living water flowing through us. He is the fountain of life. And the amazing thing about worship, um, the amazing thing about worship is that it's always a two-way event. Now, you'll you'll sometimes hear me or or Matt or someone saying, you know, one of the worship leaders, we don't worship the Lord because we expect to get something back. Okay, that would, be, that would just be wrong. Like He is absolutely deserving of our worship at all times. But there is something that is so wonderful about the Lord that when we come together and worship, that he responds. Right? The Psalms promise us that it is by worship that we enter his presence. Jesus says that the Father seeks those who worship in spirit and truth. And so it would make logical sense that if we come together as a body and we worship him in spirit and in truth, that he will seek us out. Isn't that awesome? He will seek us. We don't have to seek him. He will seek us. He's actually looking for people who do this. What a prize for us to take this seriously or for us to be intentional or for us to say, yes, Lord, teach me. Take me deeper. As most of you know, I grew up in the church. I, I've talked about how religious I used to be You know, I used to get really angry when people were happy during worship because worship's a flipping serious thing. You know, don't smile, praise the Lord. (laughs) You know, it was really really weird. I was super religious. And, you know, I'm sure the Lord laughed at me a lot, but he appreciated my fervent young heart, you know, as stupid as it was. And it it wasn't um, until I was in my late 20s. Um, you know we we do original design prayer here Um, you know prophetic prayer just asking the Lord how he's made people it's it's awesome if you haven't had it and the second time I went for prayer actually the first time I went for prayer they said you're a worshipper which was cool because I didn't think I was very good at it second the next prayer meeting I went to they said you're a worship leader aren't you which is a bad start for a prophetic team when you say no I can't play an instrument and they said well the Lord says you're a worship leader I said, okay, well, let's tell me more. And so they prayed because they they were surprised that I'm not. And the guy said, The Lord, we think what he's saying is that the Lord will meet you in worship. Like the Lord's favorite place for you to be is to be worshiping him. And so I suggest you worship him and see what happens. And that was a beautiful offer. And I could have said, you know, whatever. But I, I could feel the Holy Spirit was in those words. And that started me on a journey, an hour or two hours or three hours, four or five times a week, I would worship on my own. And the most amazing thing started to happen, he started to show up. And my wife would probably attest to this, my kids were pretty small when this was happening, but I started to notice that I had more peace. Uh, And I started to know that I had more courage. And I had less fear of man. And I had more patience with my small children. And that was a naughty one, you know. (laughs) And as Tyler said, and I think this is a quote from William Burke, but it reflects actually um, Moses, um, that we become a reflection of that which we behold, you know. The more we worship the Lord, the more we start to reflect him. The veil is increasingly torn and we display his glory. And I realize that the beauty of this thing was that I get to adore him and praise him, and he actually transforms me. And I meet him, because our spirits are connecting. And tonight the worship team sang that, that song, and I don't know how you respond to it. Maybe one of, it's one of those ones you're like, eh, you know, his eyes are like flames of fire, and his hair is white as wool. Well, he is actually described in Revelations, I believe, Tyler. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that song means a huge amount to me because in one of those moments when I was worshiping Him, He revealed Himself to me. He showed me His face, and so when I sing that song, I sing about the eyes of fire that I've seen and the hair that was white as wool that I've seen. And that doesn't matter. The fact that I mean, please ask for ask to see Him because it's awesome. That doesn't matter. But what matters was that I saw the love in his eyes, that, that fire of love that is beyond any sin that any of you can ever commit, any sin I could ever commit. Nothing, that, that scripture that nothing can separate me from the love of God, that was a visible presence. And so you know, rather than a fear of falling into a ditch or a fear of being a hypocrite, rather than a fear of getting us wrong, the joy of just stepping into it, of just stepping into worship. The reward is there because it's Him. And what better reward is there than Him? So last week, um, we sang a song, I don't know if we're going to sing it again tonight, Tyler, the new one, we are going to, okay. Um, and it talks about, I think it was that one. I might be wrong. But it talked about our fountains being in God. Again, one of these curious lines that we sing, and you might wonder where that comes from. Different song. Different song. Different song. Different song. Anyway, we sang it. Okay. We, we're not going to sing that. It's a good song. Tyler assures me. It's Psalm 87, 7. 87, verse 7. That all our fountains are in the Lord, or our springs are in the Lord, our sources of life. Oh, in the Lord. And last week when we sang that, and, um, and I just felt the Lord wanting me to come back to it t- today because it connects to the sermon. Is I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit wanting us to think about the fountains of life that we have. And worship team, if you guys want to start coming up now, you you can. Um, All our fountains are in God. Jesus is the river of life. He is the source of life. And the thing about the, 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 the hypocrisy, the thing about the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they try and make life through rules and through traditions and through customs. And this might not apply to everyone. It might only apply to a few But if you're like me, there's a good chance that you've been looking for life in other places besides Jesus. And some of these things might not even be bad things. They might be good. Like having a wife is amazing. Loving my wife is amazing. Trying to find life in my wife, not a good idea. As opposed to Jesus. Obviously, there are sins that we can participate in and I think we know that those are bad. But are there things in, us, in our lives where we are trying to draw life? We're treating them like fountains. And in doing that, we're not coming to the source of life. And in doing that, there's always this danger that our worship is not going to be true. True. Because this is part of us that's just veering to the side. Veering to something else for life. Now, I wanted to talk about, you know, how do, what does it look like? You know, and this, we'll do a thing on corporate worship and styles of worship. The thing about true worship is that it looks like running around this place. And looks like standing dead still. And it looks like being on your face in the front here. And it looks like sitting on a chair. You know, physically it doesn't matter. And we'll talk about different ways we worship and why and how. Okay, but true worship, and worship in spirit, it's about this. And you might be one of these people, You might be one of these people, you know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, I can look at Joe here. We've got so many Joes in this church. Joe didn't come from a charismatic background. He's less, less exuberant than some others in the church. But do you want a man in this church who has a truer heart towards the Lord and love? You won't find one. You can reject that later if you want to. Okay, I'm just praising you now. Okay. He, he has a heart that adores the Lord. And, and, I, and, I, and I love that. I love that he's here. It's about here. So can, can, we just, can we just take two minutes? These guys are going to warm up. Can we just take two minutes to pray? Okay. Let's pray. Um, I, I want us to be a people that are passionate about worshiping the Lord. That's a good thing to ask, isn't it? That we're passionate about worshiping in spirit and in truth. So let's pray. And let's just, let's just, ask, let's just give the Lord a chance to speak to our hearts. Okay. And one other thing I'm going to pray as well. So you guys get ready. Okay. So Holy Spirit. Yeah, so there's there's two things. I just, Lord, I'd love you to speak to to your children. And Lord, just a, a reminder to your children that this is not about judgment. This is not about accusation. This is just about freedom. Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak to us if there's anything in our lives that we've been using as a fountain, we've been using to draw life from, that's not Jesus. Would you speak to us now? And the second thing... Um, Yeah, the second thing, I I just felt the Lord wanting to release the traditions of family or friends where this was modeled badly, where we did grow up in those places, in those homes where God was worshipped at church, but before and after church, he seemed to be rather absent in the way our parents acted. I believe the Lord wants to lift that off our hearts. That if there's this check that we that we just saw hypocrisy and it burnt us. Tonight, tonight's tonight's a really good time to give that to Jesus. So if, if that's you, will you and you're able to do this, come up afterwards if it's hard, but if you're able to do this, would you just would you forgive your parents, forgive your friends, forgive church leaders? Um, would you forgive? And just give that pain to Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you don't require us to be perfect. Jesus, you're the one who makes us perfect. You're the one who makes us holy. Lord, where where we've chosen other sources of life, where we have been in rebellion against you, Jesus, will you forgive us? And we thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. That is always offered. And Lord, for anyone who, who has prayed forgiveness, Lord, who just released that legacy of hypocrisy, would you take that now, Lord, would you take the sting of that, would you take the power of that off our hearts now in your love and in your mercy, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would release freedom, and you would release surrender to us, The Holy Spirit, will you, will you cultivate in us a worship that is true, that is full of awe and wonder and delight and love. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your living water that fills us. And we worship you, and we praise your holy name. Amen.